Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 92. Many Catholics are going to vote for Joe Biden because he claims to be a Catholic. Well, there are stupid people everywhere. We can't escape them. Stupidity is yet another one of the effects of original sin, so we shouldn't be surprised when some Catholics are so stupid as to vote for Biden. By the way, I'd be willing to bet the farm that these stupid Catholics haven't been to confession in years and that they use artificial contraception. I'm just saying. At any rate, I intend to sound the alarm in this episode about what a Biden presidency would mean to Catholics. We'll be right back after this message. I usually promote one of my books here, but from now on until the election, I'm going to run this. I have absolutely no doubt that President Trump will win re-election in a landslide victory on November the 3rd. However, and I pray I'm wrong, on November 4th, we'll see a level of violence that hasn't been seen in America since the Civil War in 1861. Certainly, we need to pray for God's mercy and protection, but we must also prepare. I'm begging you to spend the month of October building up your food reserves. If I'm right about the violence, it may be weeks before you'll be able to shop for any essentials, especially food. Be cautious, stay safe, and pray a lot. Before getting to our main topic, the past four episodes have been real popular with the Six-Pack Nation. We began with the three-part interview with Father Altman. Those were very well received by all but a few cafeteria Catholics, so we didn't expect much flexing of intellectual muscle there. They don't have anything to flex. Then we did the chicken fry on Bishop Callahan, Father Altman's bishop. I know some of you wrote him letters and phoned the chancery. Good for you. But we had some left-wing trolls, too. I'm willing to bet that they're the same Democrats who called the bishop to pressure him into punishing Father. Well, since the left is all about the cancel culture, I decided we can play that game and see how well they like it. I banned them from both my YouTube channel and the comments section of each episode's show notes. And take heart, because you won't have to put up with just me in coming weeks. I've asked Father Robert Altier to come onto the show to discuss this election. I interviewed Father about a month ago, but that interview won't air until after the election. But I think he has a lot of good things to say about this election, so we're going to get him back next week. That out of the way, let's get down to the business at hand of showing what a Biden presidency means to Catholics. Have you read the Biden-Sanders Manifesto? You know, the document Democrats call the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force Recommendations? Well, I have. It's not the socialist document people are making it out to be. It's pure communism, period. So I'm going to quote from this American Communist Manifesto to show you what's in store for Catholics if Biden is elected. 
I'm not going to cover the entire thing because it's entirely too long, but what I do cover should alarm you. However, I want to first digress a moment and comment briefly on the September 29 debate. Like most of America, I was angry with all three debate participants, Trump, Biden, and moderator Chris Wallace. The way it looked to me was that Biden and Trump were two children on the grade school playground bickering, and Wallace was the big sister who didn't know how to make her brothers behave. Trump simply wouldn't keep his mouth shut. Biden was equally rude about talking over the president, plus he did the unimaginable whenever he told the president to shut up and called him a racist and a clown. I don't care who the president is. You don't call him a clown or a racist. Barack Obama was the most racist president since LBJ, but no decent person would consider saying that to his face while he's in office. That's not how you treat the presidency of the United States. Wallace was most certainly biased in favor of Biden. He constantly called down the president for interrupting Biden, but I don't recall one time that he called down Biden for doing the same thing. He may have called him down, but if he did, it was so minimally that I can't remember it. So I felt like everyone lost in this debate. Trump, Biden, Wallace, and the American people. But then I listened to Mark Levin's take on the debate. I ruminated on what he said for a couple of days. I finally came to the conclusion that the points Levin made were probably correct. Levin recalled his listeners to the vice presidential debates between Paul Ryan and Joe Biden. He even played the audio of one of those debates for just six minutes. In that amount of time, Biden called Ryan names and interrupted him 86 times. 86 times in six minutes. Then Levin related this to the September 29th debate. Trump didn't start interrupting Biden until the former vice president did it to him five times. Trump was elected because he's a disruptor. He's no Paul Ryan. He obviously decided he could either debate by the rules both campaigns agreed to or be victimized by Biden, who clearly had no intention of following the rules he'd agreed to. I can relate to that from something that happened in high school. A senior walked up behind me, called my name, then punched me in the mouth when I turned around. A knockdown dragout fight ensued. We were taken to the principal's office. The principal established a new set of rules for us to talk out our differences in his presence. When it was time to shake hands, while the kid grasped my right hand, he hit me with his left. The fight started all over again, doing some damage to the principal's office. My opponent was led away by the police. So I fully understand what Trump was facing. He refused to become Bully Biden's victim. Now, back to the manifesto. Let's begin with a few quotes about the Green New Deal. The manifesto says, quote, We agree with scientists and public health experts that the United States and the world must achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions as soon as possible and no later than 2050. To reach net zero emissions as rapidly as possible, Democrats commit to eliminating carbon pollution from power plants by 2035 through technology-neutral standards for clean energy and energy efficiency. 
we will dramatically expand solar and wind energy deployment through community-based and unity-scale systems, whatever that means. Within five years, we will install 500 million solar panels, including 8 million solar roofs and community solar energy systems, and 60,000 made-in-America wind turbines, end quote. First, notice how they won't appear to have an America First agenda like Trump. They state that their 60,000 wind turbines will be made in America. If someone wants to buy and install wind turbines somewhere, I'm all for them buying American-made products. But what does it tell you when they say they want zero net emissions by 2035, a mere 15 years from now, by installing 500 million solar panels and 60,000 wind turbines? They intend to do away with any clean coal energy and oil to power our power plants. How's that working out for California? They can't even keep the lights on there. Besides the millions of jobs that would be lost by this insanity, we'd become a third world country. We'd be reduced from the country with the highest standard of living almost overnight to become Venezuela. And how are they going to do this? by confiscating your money through the tax code. It says so right on page two. They say that, quote, Democrats affirm California's statutory authority under the Clean Air Act, end quote. Democrats say that they, quote, will move quickly to reestablish strong standards for clean cars and trucks that consider the most recent advances in technology and accelerate the adoption of zero-emission vehicles in the United States while reclaiming market share for domestically produced vehicles, end quote. How are they going to do that, ladies and gentlemen? There's only one way to do that, and that's with electric cars. According to Forbes, driving an electric car will cost you about 35 cents per mile at current electricity costs. Since the best electric car can only get about 300 miles to a charge, the cost would be about $105. I don't know about you, but Mrs. Sixpack and I spend between $25 and $30, go much further than 300 miles, and we don't have to wait for hours for refilling. That probably doesn't matter too much to you anyway, because the base price of an electric car is anywhere from $33,000 to $134,000. Can you afford that? And just think about what the repair bills would be in that sort of technology. Do you want to see how this works out in real time? You may very well get that opportunity. The tyrant who runs California, Gavin Newsom, recently signed an executive order that his state won't have any combustion engine cars by 2035. Let's recall that California can't keep its lights on, tells the people that they have to run air conditioning in shifts, and millions of acres of forest land burns every year because environmentalists won't allow the state to practice forest management. Democratically controlled California won't manage their force because they fear some little force creature might become extinct. I don't want to see any animal become extinct any more than anyone else, but California has this all backward. God didn't create humans for the animal's benefit, but rather created the animals for our benefit. And species of animals were becoming extinct long before man could have possibly had anything to do with it. 
The last part of the Green New Deal I want to look at has to do with farmers. The manifesto says, quote, Democrats will partner with farmers to make the American agriculture sector the first in the world to achieve net zero emissions, end quote. There's only one way to translate that. Democrats intend to force farmers to go back to the use of mules and horses to plant and harvest crops to feed the American people. We currently feed about two-thirds of the world, but we won't even be able to feed our own people if farmers have to revert to beasts of burden. Democrats want to free violent criminals from our nation's prisons, eliminate fossil fuels, create at least 10 new government bureaucracies, repeal the Second Amendment. Wait, stop right there. Do you know why the Second Amendment exists in the first place? It's not so Americans can go target practice or hunting. It doesn't exist so you can defend your family and home against criminal unjust aggressors. Those are nice side benefits of the Second Amendment, but those aren't the reason for its existence. The Second Amendment exists so that we the people can defend the rest of the Constitution and our democratic republic against the government if it becomes tyrannical. And the day is coming very quickly when we'll have to use that right if the Democrats take the White House and both houses of Congress. They have every intention of confiscating our guns because they can't do the things they want to do as long as the people are armed. I'm not saying this because it affects me personally. I don't even own a firearm. I can no longer safely fire guns since I had a stroke. But I went through urban sniper training when I was in the Army, and I could shoot a fly on a target at 400 meters. I know this because I've done it. I also learned just how deadly a gun can be in the hands of someone who knows how to use it. So let me ask you a question. Do you want the Democrats to become absolute tyrants and enforce their tyranny at the point of a gun by men who know how to use them? Or do you want to have a gun in your hand to protect yourself and your family against that tyranny? To quote one of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, who once said, When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. He also said, A true patriot will defend his country from its government. Finally, Jefferson said, free men do not ask permission to bear arms. Let's go back for a moment to the manifesto for the litany of Democrats' wish list. They want to decriminalize marijuana to make us a society of drones, eliminate bail for felonious criminals, base everything on race and gender, insist that the government raise your children, because Democrats can do that better than you, you know, force everyone to belong to a labor union in order to get a job, throw our borders open to any immigrant who wants to come here, giving them free health care and a guaranteed job, raise your taxes as much as 70%, eliminate school choice, particularly charter and private and parochial schools. Of course, eliminating school choice only applies to we the people, not our Democrat masters. Finally, they want to kill as many babies as they can, particularly minority babies, as well as the elderly and terminally ill. The Democrats use the word invest or investment 185 times in their manifesto, but they're not really talking about investments. 
They're talking about confiscating your money to pay for all the Marxist things they want to implement to enact tyranny and destroy liberty. If all this sounds acceptable to you, you may as well begin spelling both America and Catholic with a K. And we haven't even touched on the growing religious persecution by Biden and Nancy Pelosi against the very Catholic Church they claim to love. I've lived through 11 presidential elections, and this is the most important one of my lifetime. Now, we hear people say that in almost every election year, but this time it's actually true. If the Democrats win control of our government, the liberties we've always known will be gone forever. Regardless of who wins the election on November the 3rd, I suspect a civil war will break out. If we lose, it'll be because the Democrats cheat with their mail-in voting, and patriots won't take that lying down. If they lose, they'll never accept the election result, and they've already demonstrated their willingness to commit violence to overthrow the government and get their way. Either way, November promises to be very interesting. Are you ready? The whole reason this apostolate exists is for you, for the sake of your souls. I not only do the Cantankerous Catholic Podcast, but I also offer a free email course through joe6packanswers.com and offer a free webinar series called Sharing the Catholic Faith. I do everything I can for the benefit of souls, reaching out to both practicing Catholics, lapsed Catholics, and non-Catholics. As Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke told me, you receive the faith freely, share it with others freely. So I work alone and I do everything I can afford to do without cost to you. Until the lockdowns, I almost always earned enough revenues to cover expenses, and that's all I've ever cared about. Since the China virus lockdowns, I've had to face some pretty tough financial realities. During the lockdowns, my revenues were decimated, and I've had to pay expenses out of my pocket. Mrs. Sixpack and I live solely on our Social Security, which is very little. Paying monthly expenses out of pocket means doing without personal necessities, but we're committed to reaching souls. So it would be a great help if you'd help us meet our expenses. Therefore, I've decided that every January, April, July, and October, I'm going to ask you to help me help souls. In my show notes in the podcast player and at cantankerouscatholic.com, you'll find a link under the resources heading that reads, Help Keep Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate, Alive. Please click on that link to give to the apostolate, and please check the box to make it a recurring gift if you can. The gift page will say Cassock Media LLC. And I thank you in advance for your generosity. Oh, and be assured that you'll be remembered in my daily hour of reparation and rosary. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Breitbart News. 
First Lady Melania Trump ripped the establishment media and liberals for their treatment of her in July 2018. Secretly recorded phone calls by a former friend revealed. Uh-oh. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to the Daily Caller. President Donald Trump signed an executive order aimed at regaining control of U.S. supply chains, a move celebrated by private sector leaders working with the government to end American reliance on Chinese-supplied rare earth materials. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to Blabberbuzz. Bill de Blasio's fight against the pandemic in general has been a complete failure. With a hard time balancing health, safety, and a stable economy, the New York City mayor has lost even his biggest supporters' trust. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to LifeSite News. American Catholics are obliged to find out their candidates stand on abortion, assisted suicide, marriage, family, and religious freedom, and to vote accordingly on November 3rd, says Denver's Archbishop Samuel Aquila. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to National Catholic Register. If you think you're a priest and you really aren't, you have a problem. So do a lot of other people. The baptisms you performed are valid baptisms, but the confirmations? Nope. The masses you celebrated were not valid, nor the absolutions or anointings. And the marriages? Well, it's complicated. Some yes, some no. It depends on the paperwork, believe it or not. Father Matthew Hood of the Archdiocese of Detroit learned all this the hard way. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholicism 101 is the segment where Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, gives you little thumbnail lessons to help you better learn and understand the Catholic faith. Here's this week's Catholicism 101. Holy Communion is the nourishment for our souls by receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Most Holy Eucharist. Christ mandated that we receive Him in the Eucharist for the life of our soul. There are numerous fruits of Holy Communion. The chief fruit, of course, is an intimate interior union with Christ. Just as matrimony is the sacrament that weds a man and a woman for life, the Eucharist is the sacrament that weds us to Christ. I can only speak as a man, obviously, but I suspect what I'm about to say applies equally to women. If you've ever been in love, you've probably felt an attachment so strongly that you've wanted to become physically one with the person you love, to crawl inside the other person, as it were. Jesus understands this emotion. After all, he not only created us in our human nature, he took on that same human nature for himself. That being true, in his human nature, he feels the same emotions we feel, but he's made it so that he can fulfill that emotional desire for physical oneness. 
When a married man and woman are in love, they express that love in a conjugal way. God made us that way. He did this so that we can fulfill the need to become one with the person we love within the bonds of matrimony. The need isn't perfectly fulfilled, but met nonetheless. The fruit of that union is often a child, a child given to the couple to nurture for God's greater glory and as a living expression of the love they have for one another. Holy Communion is very similar. The marital act meets the need of two married people in love trying to become one, but imperfectly. Communion allows Jesus and us to meet that same need, but perfectly. He completely abides in us, and we in Him. The fruit of this union is always the growth of our soul for God's greater glory. Furthermore, Holy Communion produces a filial unity between Christ and the members of His mystical body. Holy Communion produces other fruits as well. It produces an increase in sanctifying grace and increases the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. It also remits of venial sins. Holy Communion weakens our concupiscence, the propensity to sin that comes from our fallen human nature. Holy Communion adds strength to the force of our will, preserves us from falling into mortal sin, and helps us to joyfully accept the duties and sacrifices that our Catholic life demands. Jesus pledged to us in John 6.54 that by receiving Holy Communion worthily, we can be assured of the resurrection and heavenly bliss. Communion of the Most Holy Eucharist is the single greatest love affair in the history of man, and that love affair is between God and us. Two conditions are necessary to receive Holy Communion worthily, to be in a state of grace and to have the right intention. Being in a state of grace means being in a state of friendship with God, that is, to be free of all mortal sin. Anyone who knowingly receives Jesus in communion in a state of mortal sin drunkenness, contraception, adultery, etc., commits the additional mortal sin of sacrilege and risks eternity in hell. To rectify this, the communicant must make a good confession of all mortal sins since the last good confession, including the sin of sacrilege. If a person forgets to confess a mortal sin and remembers after receiving communion, the communicant shouldn't feel guilty because there's no sin of sacrilege. However, the communicant has a grave obligation to go to confession as soon as possible. Having the right intention means receiving communion to show God we love him. We must avoid other intentions, such as fear of what others may think if we don't go to communion, or to make ourselves appear devout. By the mere fact that we're all sinners, none of us is worthy to receive Jesus in communion. However, Jesus deems us all worthy if we're free of mortal sin, so we should receive him with only the intention of showing God our love for him. We should also be free, as far as possible, of fully deliberate venial sins and make acts of faith, hope, charity, sorrow for our sins, and an act of desire to receive him. The church requires a fast of one hour before receiving Holy Communion. We can't eat or drink anything except water and prescription medication. The elderly, those with serious illnesses, and those who care for them are exempt from this Eucharistic fast. After communion, we should always make an act of thanksgiving. 
This means adoring Christ present in us, thanking him for coming, expressing our love and desire to do his will, and asking for his blessings. Because the graces we receive from communion are in direct proportion to the dispositions we maintain, the greatest spiritual benefits are derived from a good preparation and thanksgiving. The Church commands that we must receive Holy Communion at least once a year, during the Easter time. This is defined as being from the first Sunday of Lent, after Ash Wednesday, until Trinity Sunday. This is called our Easter duty. For some grave, I repeat, grave, reason this duty may be fulfilled at another time during the year. Since this period is over three months long, I frankly can't think of a reason to fail to fulfill the Easter duty, unless you're in a coma or stranded on a desert island somewhere. Failure to fulfill your Easter duty is a mortal sin. Next week, we'll begin to look at how to show respect for the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Many of you will be surprised at some of the things you learn. That's awesome, dude! Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Bishop Joseph Strickland in Tyler, Texas. He said, Catholics, please vote with a well-formed conscience and choose candidates who respect life, morality, marriage, family, and our basic freedoms. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Wilfred was a great and powerful knight who'd fallen victim to leprosy. His body, like that of Lazarus in the Gospels, was covered with sores. He was very unhappy, thinking to himself, there's only one thing left for me, and that's to die. One day he was told that there were skillful doctors in Salerno who could cure him, so he set off to Italy to see them. There's no cure for you, they said. You're going to die. The only thing that could restore your health is a blood transfusion from an innocent child. Now the poor man was even more unhappy. He thought, I suppose I'll have to die. Who would ever give his blood for me? 
When he returned home, he inquired all over his country. One day, a poor farmer, accompanied by his little son who was willing to offer his blood for the sick knight, knocked on the door. Wilfred was cured, and it was the little boy who saved his life. The poor knight covered with sores is mankind covered with the leprosy of sin. Like Wilfred, mankind couldn't be cured except by the blood of an innocent child. Christ is the child who came to earth to give his blood so we could live. Thus, God fulfilled his promise to send a Savior into the world. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.